Coming up on local hour number one here on a Saturday morning, gonna be going to be Garnch Friday, Falls LSU, uh, what's going on there for the baseballs. Uh, we've got um, the college football playoff. Is that a realistic option for Tennessee in 2023-2024? Um, Jake Merklinger entering the boat here for the 2024 uh, Tennessee football recruiting class. Uh, why Tennessee struggles to land top end running backs and why it doesn't matter. And then uh, Olivia Kamwa entering the transfer portal as a grand tra- grad transfer and looking at what uh, Tennessee basketball is going to look like numbers-wise and uh, rotation-wise going into uh, next season. All that and more coming up after this. Peter King. I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, good morning. Welcome back. Rocky, uh, I was about to say Rocky Top Insiders, but I, that's not how I do my intro. It's Go Big Orange Friday with two Rocky Top Insiders. Yeah, you can never have too many Rocky Top Insiders here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Too many for one pod, but not not here. Not here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. First up, always here at this time, Rocky Top Insiders. I'm just going to say that a lot. Uh, look at all this branding opportunity, this free marketing that I'm giving RTI here to start things off. Ryan Chumpert. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I know what you're, you're angling. You're trying to get us to cut the check. I don't no. know if the check's coming, but I, we appreciate the marketing nonetheless. No, all free. I don't like the new when you get like the income. I don't want a 1099 from Rocky Top Insider. I don't want just a form of like, it says here that we did that and then pay taxes on it. No, I see your game and I'm going to spin it right back to you. Not doing it. I'm not playing that game. Jack Foster, also here. Always college football. Rocky Top Insider. Everywhere else, Jack, yes, good morning. Sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a great Friday to be on here with you guys. And um, this is like my chill day Friday. I've just been working all week long. So I'm just glad it's Friday. There you go. Uh, what's your vision? What's my vision? Um, like, it's good. These aren't actual glasses. These are blue light glasses. So I don't get headaches. Oh, yeah. Because huh. I do like a lot of video editing. And there's a stretch mm. where I just had headache after headache after headache. And then I got these. And they've ceased. So, huh. Yeah. There you go. That's a free Ooh. ad. Now that is a free ad right there. He that had headache after ad. headache, and then the blue light glasses, and then headache gone. I never got into him. I do, I'm in front of a screen a lot too, but I just I don't know. I never. Also because I'm blind. Uh, Ryan, do you wear contacts or no? <laughs> nope. Mm. Mm. My eyesight's one of my few good senses. Well, there you go. Um, I'm I'm in the middle, which is extremely annoying. Which I'm like twenty thirty in one eye and twenty forty in the other. So it's like I could like right now not have any, I don't have any contacts glasses. I can get by. I can see stuff. I'm like George uh, Costanza where I, I'm just spotting raccoons left and right. 
<laughs> that's me i can do it uh but it's probably not advisable to do that uh, throughout the day and i probably would start getting headaches like jack foster up there but um we have a lot of tennessee stuff to get to on this very program y'all um look i think i want to start here uh with tennessee baseball from last night uh tennessee drops one late uh to lsu Uh, Let me tell you, folks, um, with Major League Baseball being back and the Braves uh, on their march to 162 and 0, well in in control here. Um, That game was like three hours, and it was a lot of pitching changes. They did a lot of stuff early. There were some injuries, this, that, and the other. That game would have been like three and a half on average. This Tennessee game, I was checking the watch where I'm like, ooh, going from like Major League Baseball now, which it's just like, mm, 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 and then to college baseball, where oof, it dragged a little bit where I was looking at my watch and I'm like, we're going to hit three hours. Like if Tennessee makes a run here, we're looking at three and a half and no bueno. I, I'm now conditioned to uh, to Major League Baseball, but it's also something I don't really notice uh, when I go to Tennessee games in person. I feel like it's more evident of length when you're watching at home, but uh, neither here nor there. Ryan, what happened at the end uh, against LSU? And what's your biggest takeaway? Uh, game one of uh, a three-game set in Baton Rouge. Well, the, the Tennessee lost it because they d- made defensive mistakes. And, you know, Blake Burke bobbles the ball, still gets it over to Halverson in time. Halverson just, just doesn't catch it. It should have been, you know, it was a huge inning for Seth Halverson. He comes back out in the eighth. It's the heart of the LSU lineup up. He retires Dylan Cruz. He retires Tommy White. It's like, man, <laughs> What an outing. And he's going to get out of it. Tennessee's going to go to night inning game tied. And that's where the wheels fell off. And he makes that mistake. And then Christian Moore uh, tries, was a little indecisive on a grounder, trying to tag the runner and then kind of bobbled it before throwing it the first. Wasn't there in time. And once those two things happen, you don't make those mistakes against LSU's lineup and get away with it. You just don't. And LSU obviously broke it. The game opened with the big Jordan Thomas Thompson uh, bases clearing double. So that's what happened to Tennessee. It's what we talked about after the first weekend. It's what Jack and I have talked about on our Tennessee baseball podcast all the time, that the little things with the base running and the defense, Tennessee has to be better this year than they were last year. And they have to be better than they were early in the season when it cost them. And it bit them again last night in the eighth inning. I think when I look at the game as a whole, you know, I find myself taking away some positives from what Tennessee did. And I think, a lot of that is just because of how bad they have been in their first six games away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium this season. And they go into by far the hardest environment they faced this year. And they faced Paul Skeens, who was pumping it 100 miles per hour still in the seventh inning. Just remarkable stuff. And they just hung around. They just hung around. And Chase Dolander didn't have his best stuff, but he fought through it. And he got the ball to Seth Halverson with Tennessee still right in the thick of the game. And Christian Scott, who uh, – you know, I don't think myself has a whole lot of confidence in, in in big moments at the plate. I know for a fact that you over there, Chase Thomas, don't have a whole lot of confidence in Christian Scott in those moments. He gets a big hit. Christian Moore gets a big hit. So Tennessee responded when things didn't go great in a really hostile environment. I think that's what I was impressed by. Uh, but then at the same time, you're quickly reminded of the little things that this team struggles with and the fact that when they're playing the best of the best, you can't have those little things and expect to win. One, how dare you? Christian Scott. I've always been a big Christian Scott guy. Many are saying that I've said that he should be an everyday player since before the season started. Um, now, when you look, he's 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 in my good graces at the moment. Like Christian Scott is he's he's in my good graces. Griffin Merritt. Now, it's that is somebody 
I mean, it's time to start the dialogue. Uh, Jack, I don't know if you know this, but Ryan gets to unleash the the Ryan takes and can really just it's a free for all here uh, when mm-hmm. we talk uh, Tennessee. I bring it out of him because he he's good. Like on Twitter.com, Ryan's just like, here's my thread. Here's what happened. And uh, I'm a professional journalist on this very program. It's like, here comes the heaters. Like I, I bring him out of his shell in this way. And look, many are saying that I have the angels in the outfield moment where uh, the fan in the outfield is yelling, Himmerling for Mitchell, go back to Cincinnati. Am I thinking about that second part with Griffin Merritt go back to Cincinnati? <laughs> yes. Part of me is saying that because this is, it's a slump, but now we're at like, this is so bad of a slump that is this just what's going to happen here? Um, Jack, yeah. how concerned are you about Griffin Merritt? And should Tennessee and Tony Vitello consider once Tears gets healthier enough to play every day again, he takes his spot in the outfield as an everyday player? Well, if he continues this, I think you have to because Hunter Inslee has been so good. He's been mm. solid defensively and he's coming clutch a lot at the plate. So I don't think he, you know, Griffin Merritt should be above Hunter Inslee in the pecking order as of now. Definitely not ahead of Christian Scott giving his elite defensive prowess. And yeah, Tears is bad is just better too. It's an 0 for 19 slump right now for Griffin Merritt, <sighs> dating back to the second game of the doubleheader in the Missouri series. So yeah, I still think Griffin Merritt's potential is high. I mean, he may still be second on the team in home runs. He he got to seven in a hurry. Mm. So you know the power is there. But yeah, it's just a really bad slump. I, for one, don't think it's going to continue. I still think Griffin Merritt will get it under wraps and will be a really good player for Tennessee moving forward in SEC play. But right now, it's not looking pretty. Ryan, did, did Tony Vitello make a mistake keeping Seth Halverson in for the majority and not having someone in the bullpen immediately after that first air? Where how like are we also two-parter here was it halverson's fault or burke's fault on the throw for that air because everybody was saying back and forth as like okay that wasn't the best throw from burke but that was halverson right yeah that was halverson 100 balls in the glove you gotta you gotta catch it like that's i thought burke made a good play defending the ball because it was a hard hit grounder like Mm. just to corral it i thought was pretty you know i mean yeah he bobbled it but yeah it's definitely on halverson there it's clearly on halverson There on time and in the right spot. It's, it's on Halverson. But to, to go answer your question, yeah, I, I think he did. It's, it's a, at the very least not having somebody, like you said, up after that first base runner. It, mm. it, they were caught off guard almost. And whether you would have wanted to stick with Halverson, uh, you know, for that Jordan Thompson at bat, my thought would have been to go to Camden Sewell in, in yep. the bullpen. I'm not going to kill Vitello for that. You know, it, Halverson was pitching well and it, was partly his own making that he was in the jam, but it was because of a defensive mistake, not anything he did on the mound. So I could have understood keeping him in, but not even giving yourself the option, which he didn't because he didn't have anybody ready. And that's really where the mistake was. And that, that was very costly and pretty inexcusable, honestly. If I'm not mistaken, I think after Christian Moore made that mistake, it, there was a mound meeting, then Halverson plunked a guy, then there was another mound meeting. Do you remember that like that, Ryan? I believe so. Yeah, I know for a fact there was a mound meeting after he plunked somebody because right. they were just trying to buy time to get Camden up and warming up. That's the, you know that's the thing when you're not at games. I know I, I just figured someone's up in the bullpen. You know, yeah. showing it on ESPN, and then you all of a sudden the mound visit they show it and Camden still was just getting up to throw. <laughs> it's like wow, yeah. So that yeah, felt like a, a mistake for sure. 
they have a lot of trust here. And when it was interesting too, I think on the broadcast, they were like, they look at Seth Halverson as like this fourth arm, um, consistent arm. But I'm like, I think Andrew Lindsay is the more consistent. Like, I mean, Andrew Lindsay for me, and I mean, what he looked like against AM last weekend was, was top notch. I still feel like his ceiling as, uh, uh, it's a little bit higher than Seth Halverson's, but it is just like one of those things where because Seth can go long and because he can like if Dolly or Burns or whoever exits the game early, you can count on him for multiple innings in a row that like it's easy to get lulled to sleep or it's like Seth just going to ride us out until our bats get going and then we can make another change and kind of close this out. But yeah, I don't know. It's still it's just this whole season can be defined as like they're just learning as they go like this whole season is just it's a work in progress we're still figuring stuff out we're still trying to find the right bats the right pieces um i mean when you lose that many everyday starters from one season to the next there's gonna be uh some level of drop off and it just these kind of games hurt more because you were like you're right there you it felt like uh things were going tennessee's way by and large uh throughout and like you survive the onslaught of maybe the best pitcher in college baseball and getting to their bullpen that you're like, all right, I, I feel like this is, this is the time for Tennessee to kind of strike here. And it just, they came up short and I don't know. I mean, when you look at game two and game three, uh, Jack, how, uh, a, what are you looking at uh, for Tennessee to clean up a little bit? And two, what are your expectations for Burns and Drew Beam against this lineup? Well, I was very impressed by what Chase Dolander was able to do against this lineup on Thursday just because we've seen those shaky starts time and time again, and it didn't happen. You know, yeah, he allowed the first two base runners to get on, but he got out of it, and, you know, just a two-run homer just caught him. That was it. So Chase Dolander's outing was really good. I expect a similar outing from Chase Burns tonight. Um, I said it, like, in my prediction just in the high and tight and just Everywhere I've talked to anybody, I think Tennessee takes one game this weekend and it's the Friday night game because I think Chase Burns comes and he deals. And I think Tennessee's offense will have a better night tonight than they certainly did last night, given the Paul Skeen start. But I do think LSU takes the series on Saturday. Mm. Ryan, what do you think the lineup is tonight? I would guess, honestly, it's the same. Hmm. Uh, Maybe Jared Dickey uh, out in either right or left field and Charlie Taylor behind the plate. But generally speaking, unless Griffin Merritt gets the boot that way, I don't think that's going to change. I, I expect you'll see Dylan Dryling in the DH role uh, again. And uh, to me, that's the thing with Merritt is I don't think they necessarily should be. It's over for him. He's out of lineup, but especially when it's right-handers on the mound, like, Dylan Drylinks has been so good this season that I just don't see how it's a no-doubter at this point that Griffin Merritt's in the lineup every day. Uh, so, like I said, I don't expect any huge changes tonight. Maybe Merritt's out if Dickey's not behind the plate and he's out in the outfield. I certainly think Hunter Inslee's done a lot to lock up that center field spot, and I think Tennessee finally has, if not closure, at least some confidence and some continuity at that spot. Um, and we'll see where they go to with the rest of it. Yeah, I uh, I think it, it you can't take Hunter Ensley out at this point. Like, I think he has to be in it every day. And then Dryling, I think, has to be in the everyday lineup. I think he's just too good. And you want to get those at-bats, too. It's like if you're, so, like, as a true freshman, like, just keep giving him at-bats, man. That's going to pay off longer. And he's hitting. Like, just keep the confidence up. Um, yeah, I don't know. And tears when he's back fully and ready to go. I think he has to be in the lineup every day. I don't think there's a way around those two guys uh, being in the lineup every day for Tennessee. And what that means for Griffin Merritt, I don't know. But at a certain point... 
the slump is just like maybe this is not going to work because we're in the heart of SEC play and you look over the whole conference. It's just a bloodbath everywhere. Like the two, the last two uh, college world series champions uh, are what a combined like 0 and 13 to start SEC play. Like it's yep. just, it's, it's just going to be a lot when you're like, Oh, Kentucky's like the one we're okay with. And it's like, Nope, Kentucky's a top 25 team this year. And you just look up and down the schedule and you're like, I don't know. Outside of those Tuesday spots, is it is it maybe just Griffin Merritt Tuesdays? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, South and, Carolina on a much higher level than Kentucky. Yep. You know, entering the season, it's like South Carolina. That's a, definitely a sweepable series at the end, and absolutely nope. not. And the I one thing know. I would say on the the tiers and or the one complication on getting tiers and dryling in lineup every day is just both those guys are lefties and then already mm. extremely extremely lefty heavy lineup for Tennessee. It's like if you if it's a lefty on the mound, they're not both going to start. And even if it's a righty, it's like you put those guys up there and then you look at the lineup and it's two righties and a switch hitter in Zane Ditton. So is Tennessee going to be willing to lean in that heavily to being a left-handed hitting team? I don't know. Maybe. I think that's the question mark. But but certainly I think I have more confidence in both tiers and dryling at the plate than I do merit right now. I have a take. Let's hear it. Jared Dickey should be batting leadoff every day. I don't know. He's the best hitter. He's the most complete hitter, I should say. And some of those last night should have gotten out, and those are gone in Lindsey Nelson. Like yeah. those were you like you can't buy I, a home run right now. Oh my god! And they look. <laughs> he would have had two in the A and M game. It, the wind wasn't blowing in so hard from right. I was watching that. Uh, I thought we were driving into Nashville uh, to Asheville, and it just was like no. And I like freaked out. My wife's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I don't understand how that wasn't how." Like I, I don't understand what just happened. Um, the right but, fielder and Jared thought it is just the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just I don't know. He also like, did you see him like like get super excited about an out uh, in the game last night where he I guess it blew in. But did you see his reaction? It was this little thing that I went back and he was like he was super excited about like he's like okay I figured it out or we're moving. I don't know. He's just he's a he's fun. I if you go back and watch it, he he does get super excited about the out and like he runs like I just see him sprint around and like he just. It was he was very animated after that. And I was like, okay, maybe he figured something out and he feels good. Um, or he's just trying to get everybody fired up. But I don't know. Maui just I like Maui. I would just slide him down in the Dickie spot. I would feel more comfortable with him at the five, four, five, six spot and put Jared. I want Jared to have the most at bats of anyone on this team. And I just think his on base percentage and just what he is able to do at the dish, there's no one I'm more certain about could start it. Like it's just the kind of guy you want to start a game for Tennessee because he's going to get a hit more often than not. I just, I think Jared Dickey's your best lead up option. I think, yeah, he is. He is. And he isn't like, he's a prototypical lead off hitter. And what he does at the plate and his ability mm-hmm. to get on base, his speed leaves a lot to be desired when he's on base. And Maui is like the opposite where he is a big swing in this guy yes. and not what you think of as a lead off hitter. And that's the question mark with him there. But at the same he time, had three K's lineup, last night. Yeah. Three K's and then got on yeah. singled in his last at bat. But at the same time, like in a lineup that is so new and there are so few guys you trust in big moments, like I like having Dickey in the middle of the lineup because mm. two outs, Dickey, runner in scoring position, there's not – I mean, it's him and Christian Moore are my one, one A, one B of guys I trust. And then it's Blake Burke. And after that, it's a massive, massive drop-off. And obviously you get some of those at bats too at the top of the lineup. But I just really like having Jared Dickey up at the plate in those big moments. And when it's a guy on third, less than two outs, he's – the best guy I feel about on the team is going to put the ball in play and give and give Tennessee a chance. So it really is just a compliment to Jared Dickey that he's so good at the plate that 
he does so many things that you want of a prototypical leadoff hitter, but it's also in a lineup that's not just loaded. It's hard to want to take his bat out of the middle of the lineup and in all those RBI chances he's getting right now. Yeah, you want him in a position to drive in runs. I, I, I agree. And I, I was with you, Chase, when Maui was you know not doing well to start when he first became eligible. I was like, mm. Jared should be in the leadoff spot. This should just be a lock. Mm. And Maui kind of you know, got it going. And I still don't think what Maui Huna has done should totally discourage you from him being the leadoff guy. He, he has produced in a, quite a few games, but I think what Jared has done should encourage you to want him to drive in runs, which is what he's in the position to do. Yeah, I don't. I just at this point, like the I guess it's a number games numbers game for me because he's what at the fifth spot right now. He's batting mm-hmm. fifth yeah. usually. Like you're losing a couple of bats a week by keeping him there versus at the one hole. Like he's going to get more opportunities at the top of the lineup, batting first. I mean, over the course of a season, like those add up. And I think that's what I go back to more than anything is just that like I know who the three best hitters on Tennessee right now are. Like we know. No question, the three best, most consistent are Jared Dickey at one, Christian Moore at two, Blake Burke at three. I just feel like if you can start every game, one, two, three with those guys, like that's a pretty intimidating one, two, three. And it's also like ensures that your three best hitters are getting the most at bats over the course of the full season. And I think that I would play the numbers on that front of just like, look, I know it hurts the middle of our lineup in the back end and it's not it it's going to be a little bit more rough there but like i just trust the top of our lineup to be scary enough where it's like you come like a game's tight and uh lsu or whoever are like well i feel pretty good but like they have one two three up in the seventh and it's like dickie moore and burke and i'm like do we want to keep our guy in or what do we want to do because this is just that's a really, really dangerous one, two, three, because you just know at least one of those three guys are going to get on at any given moment, whether it's a home run or whatever. I don't know. That's what I would do. Um, I don't have Tony Botello's email. Now I would shoot him that email. Maybe I'll shoot him this clip that one, two, three should be Dickie, Moore, and Burke. Uh, maybe I'm yelling it at Lindsey Nelson Stadium next week. Who is to say? Uh, let's do it. But I don't know. That's just that's just where I'm at. But maybe that will change. And I think the lineup is going to continue to evolve. And I think uh, they're going to continue to try and put the best lineup on the field and the best team out there possible. Speaking of best team out there, um, are the Vols a real CFP threat in 2023, Jack Foster? No, I don't think so. Why? I just don't see a scenario where they finish as a top four team. Um, I think USC takes it. It's just like looking at college football as a whole. Hmm. I think USC takes a jump, and I think Georgia and Alabama continue to cruise. You know, I, I just see two losses on Tennessee's schedule. I don't, I don't think they can knock off Georgia and Neyland, and I don't think they win in Tuscaloosa. And ten and two is just ultimately not going to cut it. Mm, that's too and, clean, uh, to though. Me, that's, that's their ceiling. To me, that's their ceiling. They may not have finished ten and two, but to me, that's their ceiling. Interesting, Ryan. Do you share that sentiment? I do. Yeah, I don't think the offense is going to be as good, and I don't think the defense is going to be so much better that it makes up the slack there and you know to me I, I i'd be shocked i agree with jack sentiment the ceiling feels like 10 and 2 um and it, it it's a team that'd be you know great chance to make the playoff and an expanded playoff but yeah. in the last year of, of the 14 playoff i i have a hard time seeing the path and let you know maybe joe milton comes out and then absolutely sets the world on fire and the offense doesn't take a big step back and the defense with all this infusion of young talent is better Maybe it's a perfect world and you have a perfect storm and all that happens, but uh, 
I don't see that as being likely or certainly something I would bet on. Is it a Mac Jones scenario is what people are thinking where it's like, because that would be the most Tennessee thing possible where it's like Joe Milton has the best, like they are just the most dangerous. Everything comes together. The defense is better the year that Joe's at QB and they really do like uh, James Pierce, Joshua Josephs, Dominic Bailey, um, Keenan Peely is just a monster. And then you have just the step in the secondary and maybe Danico Slaughter is a SEC all SEC guy at corner. And there's a scenario where like uh, a lot of things go Tennessee's way. But like you look at Alabama three years ago and you're like, isn't it weird that Mac Jones had, was the quarterback for the best Alabama offense of all time? And he wins a national title and goes undefeated. And then Bryce Young never wins a national title for Bama, who is unquestionably the best quarterback in Alabama history. Like Hendon Hooker there. We all expect this drop off. And like, what if there is a drop off from Hooker to Milton? but like everything else is better and brew is better than Tillman and healthier all year. And Dante Thornton is maybe better than Jalen Hyatt for a year. Ramel Keaton is better than who he was a year ago. Like there are scenarios. I don't think it's as likely, but like that would be something about college football that we're like, ah, I just, cause to me I'm coming this year, eight and four feels about right to me. Eight and four with a couple losses. I still think I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say they split because I called they split Bama Georgia last year. I'm not certain I'm going to go. They split Bama Georgia this year. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's where my head's at. What What about you, Jack? Yeah, you're saying that the team is better despite the quarterback drop off. So yeah. Tennessee may have a better chance to be a CFP con- mm. contender. Because everybody else is better around him, where it's like Brew goes to another level and is like yeah. one of the best wide receivers. In the country. I mean, that's possible. Think- like Brew being one of the best receivers in the country is possible. Maybe. Yeah, I just don't think that Tennessee's I don't I just don't think you're going to get any sort of production like you have from Jalen Hyatt last year. To Mm. me, for what you're saying to become true, I think Tennessee's running backs have to be like top of the SEC. What if Jalen Hyatt's an Alvin Kamara? What if he has an Alvin Kamara type year? What if they run the ball so well it takes a lot of pressure off Joe Milton because they have the depth there? Cam Selden's a dude right away as a freshman. Yeah, no, I think for what you're saying to come true, the pass the pass rush cannot take a drop off with Byron Young leaving, which you know that could it's happen. Get, it's got to get better if, if what Chase is saying. Is yes. Gonna happen. Yeah. And, and the running backs have to be elite. I think they have to have an elite running game for what you're saying to come true. But that's possible. Like Tennessee having elite running. I mean, they were they borderline elite last year. I mean, it's not like they really had a lot of problems running the football throughout the year. We weren't just like, oh man, yeah, Tennessee but, really. They they're struggling I, to move the ball through on the on the ground. I don't think opponents were necessarily intimidated by Tennessee's running game though. Like they didn't come in Hold like on, oh man online too. Uh, Dylan Sampson, Jalen Wright. How how did that go? Yeah, but it's not. You know, that's not what you talked about when you talked about facing. You Tennis weren't game planning for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which you very well could be this season. I think that's going to happen. I think they're going to run the ball a lot more, and I think this is going to be a more. It's going to be a more spread out, and I think a lot of people have been conditioned to believe that like it's always going to be this limited group of guys where Hypel trusts his three receivers. He trusts his running backs for a whole series. I think there's now just too much talent. I'm curious to see if that was a just talent issue as to why he was only trusting certain guys and that he was exhausting uh, the guys he trusted or that, I mean, if that is his ideology as a play caller and just as a coach or because there's so much more infusion of talent that like, there's just no way you're only going to be able to play like Dante Thornton, Squirrel and Brew McCoy as your only wideouts this year. Like you're going to have to enter, like you're going to have to intertwine like Thornton at the slot. Sometimes squirrel at the slot slot. Sometimes you're going to have to have Ramel out there for drives at a time. You're going to have to have maybe Chaz Nimrod out there for drives at a time. Like you just have to keep some of these dudes more 
more engaged than in years past and you have just more talent but i i think we're gonna see more rotation and more versatility from tennessee across the board this year i think my gut tells me that that was more of just the leanness of the roster more so than hypo's like i'm only playing these guys and they're just going to get a bunch of snaps and everybody else we'll see you next year that's my gut instinct on that yeah i think there's probably a middle ground there but it's like they clearly trusted Ramel Keaton last year, like as they should have. And when Cedric Tillman came back, like it, he did play more. It wasn't like he played none, but it wasn't like he played a ton either. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was nearly splitting reps with Brew McCoy. And it's it's just so easy. And I talked about the sports season last year. And you're right. They should have more guys that they trust this season. But it's just so easy to sit in the coach's room or, for our case, to sit on a podcast here and the last day of March or even mid-August and say you have all this talent and you got to play Chad Mimrod, you got to mm. play Dante Thornton, you got to play Ramel Keaton. But when you get into the game and you it's the fourth quarter, it's the third quarter of a tight game against Florida down in Gainesville, who's taking Squirrel White out of the game? Who's Who wants to take Brew McCoy out of the game? It, I think it's just a lot harder said than done to take out who are your best guys, no matter if you trust the backups or not. And I think you're right. I think there should be more trust. I think Six deep, they're pretty solid uh, uh, receiver this year. And I think you'll probably – it won't be as cut and dry of it's just three guys in the highway for everybody else until you're up by 28 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be – certainly not going to the Butch Jones level where it's like six receivers playing the same amount of snaps. Uh, I just don't see that being the case. Running back probably is the spot where I think you'll see that more because I just don't see how – all three of Samson are right and small don't have, you know, very sizable roles. Jack, um, how excited are you for Jack Merklinger uh, entering the fold here? And how surprised are you that he ultimately chose the balls over uh, situations where he could probably play right away in, uh, in North Carolina after Drake may leaves. Yeah, no, I was, I was surprised just, you know, given the quarterback talent Tennessee has moving forward and it's the, you know, you could, argue there's no path to the field if Nico's Nico for his first two years of college ball. Maybe redshirt's one of those. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good land for Tennessee. You know, it just shows that they're able to compete with the heavyweights and land quarterbacks now. And yeah, I, th- I think it's a good pickup for the Vols and it gives you an insurance policy if Nico, you know, gets hurt or anything like that. So you have a good backup now that you know will be here for the two years Nico starts. Ryan, I... Uh, I- it's interesting. I was listening to a 247 recruiting podcast on him yesterday because I'm not out here grinding the the down south Savannah high school tape on all these quarterbacks. So for whatever reason, it feels like they have like three or four uh, that have come out that have been just high profile quarterbacks down there. Um, but what they said was super passing. I mean, I wonder from your perspective, do you think Heupel locked in on him because of this and that being he's the basic he's completely different than Nico. And his ability, like Nico's arm and his arm talent is the biggest thing. It's like if he puts it all together, then like he's going to be the best quarterback in this class and just be a, a a superstar at Tennessee. If he puts together his natural ability and his and what he is able to do as uh, as a quarterback versus Jack is just like, oh, he's uh, he's going to do the all like he's just a gamer. He wants the competition. He doesn't flash with arm talent. He's been a four year starter. He has a bunch of reps under him. He started as a true freshman. And it just seems like 
he's more of like the Jake Fromm option for Tennessee if things go awry. And uh, Justin Fields is like the Nico where it's like, I, that's my gut instinct is like he has both versions where it's like I have the safe quarterback now in the fold and I have the, if everything comes together, we have a Bryce Young Heis, uh, two-year Heisman guy uh, in the fold too. Is that a fair way of looking at Because I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good comparison, one I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of before. And I think it's almost better that you have it flipped because then the guy with the higher ceiling is getting the opportunity first. And mm-hmm. a player like Mer- Merklinger, those are, that's the type of game you want your backup to have. Like mm-hmm. you, I'd rather have that for my backup than a big arm guy who's not very polished and is maybe has a high ceiling in a couple of years, but he's pretty far from that ceiling. Where mm-hmm. Merklinger, I feel like the floor and the ceiling are closer together. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison and I'm glad you brought up Georgia. Cause that's kind of what I thought about it is where it's like Tennessee. I didn't foresee them being able to land the big quarterback in this class because of bringing in Nico. You know, I figured they'd had somebody certainly not a top six quarterback nationally, a top 100 consensus top 100 recruit, but that just shows how attractive Josh Heupel's offense is to play in that you're able to stack highly touted quarterbacks in this and back-to-back classes. And it, it is pretty reminiscent of what, Georgia did there for, you know, a three, four year stretch where they were bringing in a five star just about every year. I think that's the norm, right? Like uh, we we had this conversation, Jack, about, um, you know, if Tennessee builds Lincoln Riley East, USC Lincoln Mm -hmm. Riley East, is that okay for a lot of Tennessee fans? And I think this is one of the another great example of the the parallels between what Lincoln did at Oklahoma and now doing at USC versus what uh, Heupel is building at uh, Tennessee is just that like folks were wondering like could he bring in a top six top seven quarterback year over year especially when you have a guy the number one on three quarterback uh, and player as a whole and Nico and he just does that right no yeah that's very encouraging and like I just said you know recruiting this quarterback talent is encouraging for Tennessee and I think that yeah going back to our conversation last time I was on here the you know is Josh Heupel you know the Lincoln Riley for Tennessee this is an indicator that it's trending towards that way that's good I think that's the best case I think that's a that's a good place to be if you're Tennessee so Jake Merklinger in the boat and the 2024 class uh shaping up to be pretty pretty fun I mean I was listening to Austin Price talk to him about it like he was on campus last week with Wingo I think and Mike Matthews alumni part view part view alum uh myself and uh, i'll do what i can to get mike matthews up here uh in knoxville but last thing on vols recruiting ryan how is this 2024 class shaping up with jake berklinger jj harrell and company uh do you like what you've seen so far and do you think uh what what area uh position wise do you want to see pop up sooner rather than later well, I think it's in a good spot right now, and it's it's certainly still in the early stages, just six commits, but six really quality guys. Five of those guys uh, are four-star recruits. Uh, three of those guys are top 100. Four of those guys are, are top 150. So it's a lot of high-quality guys. I think that's what you have to like about it. Still in the early stages, obviously there's a ton of big names out there. We'll see how, how well they can hit on those. And, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's, the sooner rather than later aspect, but the area that they need to hit. And we've talked about it a ton on here and elsewhere. It's just, they, they need to land some top offensive tackles. Like that's mm. Glenn LRB has not recruited particularly well at Tennessee. And uh, that's kind of the one spot you look at uh, that, that really concerns me. I guess running back, they haven't recruited super well, but I, running back to me is a spot where it's like, it's not, it doesn't. 
it's a dime a dozen. They got Dylan Sampson, who's been really good, and they got mm-hmm. Jalen Wright, who's been really good. And they have Jarabari Small, who's been good. And I don't think any of those guys were ranked in the top 700, let alone four-star recruits. So I feel confident about their ability to get the spot talented guys and have plenty of production there. And you know they're going to recruit quarterback, receiver, tight end well uh, on the offensive side. And uh, I think all, everybody's been pleased with how they've recruited the defensive side of the ball as a whole. But when you look at the offensive side, offensive line, particularly offensive tackle, because those interior guys we talked about it are a little bit of dime a dozen too. But those offensive tackles are the guys where they haven't landed elite guys. And I think that's kind of the one question mark when you look at the staff recruiting and obviously kind of falls on Glenn LRB's shoulders. Jack, it is interesting, right? Like the, there's so much, I remember like after Jordan Marshall picked Michigan and that was like a big deal. And he was someone that Tennessee fans obviously wanted, like he was the highest RB on the board. And now it's like, who, who is going to be the target? Who's going to be the rookie, uh, the, the next running back commit? Or why is Tennessee not able to get the four or five star running back in the boat when they're able to get everything else. But like the way I look at it, like you said, it's a dime a dozen, but also I would rather have the big names. Like I'd rather have the Wingos than a Jordan Marshall. I would rather have Tennessee land the receivers, land the quarterbacks, land the offensive tackles than running back. I think that's the least important position of anywhere uh, on Tennessee's scheme in Tennessee's scheme and just where football is going like i i don't really i think there's a disconnect between like the old way of thinking versus the modern way of looking at this because i just it's not a concern to me i don't i don't care yeah i'm sure that's an event no i completely do i think running back is you know the value of that position is significantly going down as years have passed in the sport and look at the most recent national champions over the past five years elite quarterback and receivers or in a just insane defense, you know, mm. like that Mac Jones team. Of course, Mac Jones played great quarterback, but his receiving core was otherworldly. You look at Clemson in those years, Sean Watson, Trevor Lawrence had elite receiving cores. So that is the game now. And I think that's, you know, more of the game Josh Heupel wants to play. And that's the, you know, Josh Heupel's offense is going to attract those players more so than running backs. You know, they're running backs are going to go big 10 if they want to have 14, 1500 yards. So or Georgia and Alabama. Where yeah. they have that tracker right. of all those guys in the front. Like, yeah, that's how yeah, they that's are. But you don't have to be that. Right. So, I think, I think Tennessee just has a different style. And, you know, I'm not concerned at all about the lack of four or five-star running backs Tennessee's landed. We're all on the same page there. Um, spring practice observations, Ryan. Through two weeks, what has stood out to you about uh, how the balls have looked this spring and the, the new guys on campus and some of the returning guys? Well, I was going to make this jest uh, mm. when we were talking about Merklinger and, and the surprise of him. Well, he was at Tennessee's practice on Saturday. I think he watched Nico, uh, Ian Baliav, and said, I can beat this, this guy's number one player in the country. I can beat him out. Mm. Uh, Nico just struggled a little bit. And again, we're watching 20 minutes of routes on air uh, with some accuracy. But to me, he's gotten a lot more polished as it's gone on. Really, I've watched three practices now. All three practices, he's been better. I thought he had a really good day on Thursday throwing the ball. Uh, that's obviously the name everybody wants to know about. I think Joe Milton has looked good uh, for his part so far. And then uh, when you look at the newcomers, I think Keenan Pali stands out. I mean, he's massive. He's much bigger uh, than I thought he, he w- was. Arian Carter, uh, another freshman linebacker, is a really good-looking player. Caleb Herring is a really good-looking player to me. Probably needs to add some weight, especially in the lower body. But it's easy to see why those guys were you know big-time top 100 recruits. And then I think when you look at – the returners, to me, it's been on. It's been the sophomores, as you'd expect, the ones that have caught my eye. Elijah Herring is a guy I was already high on. To me, he's looked really good at linebacker. I would be surprised if he, not if he doesn't start, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I'd be surprised if he's not in a rotation of playing heavy, heavy snaps every single day. 
Josh Joseph's another guy that even side of the ball. I would be surprised if he doesn't start. He needs to be Tennessee's best pass rusher. And on the offensive side of the ball, I know a guy that you're high on, Chaz Nimrod. It, it mm. Looks good to me. looks polished. How does that work out in a very good receiving room that we just talked about and all that rotation stuff? I don't know. Uh, but he's a guy that I think has kind of separated himself uh, as well to go along with Squirrel White for those sophomore receivers. Yeah, I wonder. Oh, what were you about to say, Jack? No, I was just going to agree with Ryan Sindeman. We got to watch uh, practice for nearly the whole time once last week, and with mm. you know Bruce sidelined, it, Chaz was working as you know that next guy behind Keaton, Dante, yeah. and Squirrel. He was the next guy ahead of Caleb Webb, ahead of Leacock, which that makes sense. But yeah, mm. it feels like Nimrod has you know separated himself. I wonder too, like, what do you think is the opening uh, game one against Virginia wide receiver starting group? Because I don't think it's going to be Thornton, Squirrel, and Peru. My gut tells me one of, and I just don't think it's Squirrel because Milton has such a strong chemistry with Squirrel. I don't think they're going to put Thornton out wide. I think Thornton and Squirrel are just going to be this, like defenses are going to hate it, but it's like one drive strictly Squirrel and then one drive Thornton and just this, who's fresher at this particular moment with those two. And I think it's going to be Keaton to start and then Nimrod and him uh, interchanging on the outside. That's, that is my instinct. Do you, do you share that? Or do you think it is going to be that clean of Thornton squirrel and Brew just gobble up all the, the wideout snaps? No, I think you're right. And we kind of saw that last year. I know there was eligibility concerns with brew and mm. you know, there's a lot of unknowns, but Keaton started day one and he was that outside guy. I think you could see the same thing. Keaton and Brew, and then Squirrel working in the slot. But once Thornton makes a couple of splash plays, he's easily going to take that starting role. I think Thornton will play a lot of outside for Tennessee as well. So I, I think by week five or six, it'll be Thornton, Squirrel, and Brew. But week one, I actually agree. I don't think Thornton starts just because, you know, Ramel Keaton probably deserves that week one start too. And he's another guy that Milton has great chemistry with. You have to keep that yeah. in mind. Is like they were playing why like when he was when Milton wasn't starting and Keaton wasn't starting. Like they got a lot of reps together. Like I just I don't I think it'd be malpractice not to have Keaton as one of your three consistent guys for Joe um, when he takes over the reins. I think he has to be one of the three consistently. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with that. May well. I agree with the sentiment. I don't necessarily agree that it would be coaching malpractice for him not to be. Hey, hold but on, this is a podcast. I got to get these takes off. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, and I think that it, it really is complicated and it's not an easy solution because you're looking for snaps with, for a bunch of really good players. But to me, and I think the question that would maybe go the opposite direction is, is he big enough to sustain a full season of hmm. and a full workload of every single game would be squirrel white. But it's like you talk about wanting to play Thornton in the slot. I just go back to the, what I said a couple minutes ago. I was like, I don't, I don't, I know I'm not going to want to take Squirrel White out of the game in the yeah. third quarter of a tight game. Like he is just, I think he's the most talented receiver Tennessee has. Hmm. So I just have a hard time thinking it's going to be Josh Hyde was going to take him off the field a lot, which to me lends itself to where Thornton might be ready and be the backup slot guy, but I think he's going to get most of his reps out wide. And again, it's like Ramel Keaton has everything you said is completely accurate with his chemistry with with Joe Milton. He has a real game experience from last year when he's played well. I think he's gotten even better. He's been good in practice when we've watched him. And it sets up for a question that's kind of unanswerable right now and one that might just force, you know, Josh Heibel's hand to, to play more receivers, kind of like you were talking about earlier. There you go. Uh, last thing here, Olivia Kamwa enters the portal. It didn't look like he was going to be back uh, with the Vols anyway going into next year. Jack, 
did that surprise you that Olivier is not just heading overseas? Because he's it, it would be very surprising if he is drafted in the first 60 picks of the NBA draft. And it just doesn't seem like he's an NBA player. But, you know, who who's to say, like G League, whatever, if he, he found a role and found his way in the league. It wouldn't be the most surprising thing. That being said, he's in the portal. It seems like he's not back. Um, it, where, do, do you think he stays power five? Do you think he goes down a level? Does he and just try and feast on that status to just kind of increase his draft slot? Because he's like, I can be more of a big time scorer and not be the inconsistency guy uh, for Tennessee. What do you think ultimately happens here with Olivia? And do you think the Vols will miss his, con- like, I shouldn't say consistency, but just his availability is what I should say. He was available and started every game. So that is how we're going to say it. Availability. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I was surprised Olivier entered the transfer portal first off. I think I, I didn't expect him necessarily to come back, but the fact that he's transferring did surprise me. I figured if he still wanted to play college ball, he'd come back to Tennessee. And I think Tennessee wouldn't have been necessarily post to that. I don't see why they should be because... He gives you that post depth. And, you know, we've talked about this on the Press Pass Rocket Top Insider podcast that, you know, you don't want JP Estrella to be your third big man. And as of now, Adu, Awaka, and then Estrella, if Euros doesn't come back, assuming that doesn't happen. So I think Kama would have been a nice depth piece in the post. Um, but I, I, I get it why Olivier would want to do this because, you know, you, you just want to improve your stock and you want to have more success offensively somewhere else. And we've seen how he can do that. And he wants to do it, as you said, more consistently. I think the thing Tennessee will miss most is his upside because he won them the Duke game. So he won them the Texas game. I think Tennessee probably wins that game anyway. They may win the Duke game anyway. But, you know, he made those no-doubt wins. So that What if we did the Twin Tennessee Towers in Nashville? Let's get Timber, who's back at UNC Asheville. Let's do the Twin Towers. David Robinson and Tim Duncan of, uh, of uh, what are they, the Big South Conference? Big let's South, do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Olivier and uh, Pember just murdering the competition over there as a two-headed monster in Asheville. That'd be fun. Yeah, I don't know. What yeah. do you think, Ryan? Well, I was surprised to see him go to the portal. I, I don't. I certainly wasn't surprised that he's not going to be back in Tennessee, and I still wouldn't rule out the option of him still going and playing overseas and not mm-hmm. playing another year of college. And I think Jack Ryan, I think Tennessee would have had him back. I think his NIL opportunities are going to be much better at a different school, and I think he sticks in the Power Five. I think he's a good mm-hmm. enough player to stick in the Power Five for sure, and he can get some NIL money and maybe use that as leverage uh, to your European leagues as well. I think when you look at it for Tennessee, Certainly, it's a guy that you would like to have back from a depth standpoint. And everything Jack talked about, J.P. Estrella, you don't want him to be your third big man. But I think at the same time, this is a good thing for Tennessee in the sense that it, it's going to shift Jonas Adu and it's going to shift Tobey Awaka into the bright lights, the limelight. I don't know what the word is, but Tennessee needs those two guys. And those yep. are going to be Tennessee's two starting big men or two best big men going into next season. And Tennessee needs those guys to take steps as a program, as for next year's team individually. Those are the guys that need to get better. Those are the guys you need to become what Olivier Kamal and Euros Plastics never did become, which is consistent, good interior players. So I think while Tennessee is, to me, very unlikely to get a player as good as Kamal in the portal, and I'm sure they will add a big man in the portal now. The Harvard kid, gone. right? Is a yeah, they're looking option. at the Harvard kid. Uh, so as Olivia Kamwa. But I think where it is good, instead of bringing Olivia Kamwa back for a fifth year where he's going to be a starter and you kind of know what he is and he is inconsistent and his ceiling is high, but he doesn't ever reach it. But you got to keep him in the starting lineup because that ceiling is high. And well, what if it's his night? 
and the roles aren't clear for Tobey Walker and Jonas to do. Now it's clear for Tobey Walker and Jonas to do. It's your time. It is your time, and you need to be big time players for this Tennessee basketball program, and they're going to sustain uh, the level they've been at as one of the SEC's best programs. And if Barnes is planning on starting Tobey and Jonas to do together, which feels very Barnesy uh, <laughs> to start those two together next year. A, Jonas Adu has to start shooting threes. Like, that has to be, like, non-negotiable. You're shooting top of the three corner threes. Like, that is non-negotiable. Like, you're going to be open. You're going to have opportunities there. Tobey can be inside. Um, We obviously know what he can do on the boards. Like, that has to be just no question. Where it's, like, that conversation with Armando Baycott, I remember where, like, there was some quote where he was, like, the conversation with Hubert before he came back last year, uh, well, this past year, was that like you have to start shooting threes. And then he proceeded to not shoot threes uh, for North Carolina and it's back. Barnes need to have that, needs to have that conversation with do Because I think he has good touch. Like I think do could yeah. actually be a, a pretty solid open three-point shooter where defenses have to at least uh, come out and defend him um, if he's left open. Because I think he does have good touch and I think he, he can be a pretty solid option. Uh, among the, from the top rotation. of the key at least yeah that's what i'm saying like he feels comfortable yeah. there uh so i think yeah, that's a big step for him um with that being said though vescovy could come back theoretically Josiah jordan james could back come back theoretically jack when you look at those guys and if they depart what the rotation looks like behind them i mean are you comfortable with some of the young guys getting more opportunities or would you rather go the safe route and try and bring at least one of the two back even if it means blocking uh, somebody like Meshack who made significant strides down the stretch last year, or PJ Edwards who did not play at all, or Freddie DeLeon who uh, came in and it's like, okay, well, if Escobie's back, him and Zakai are going to occupy a bunch of minutes. Like uh, We've kind of seen how the peak uh, of what those two can do, uh, which is a really good basketball team, but you kind of want to see a, a, a score at all three levels like Freddie and what he can do uh to kind of uh take this offense to another level what what do you think uh tennessee should do in that regard i think they would want santiago vesky back more so than triple j and it's mm. because of what jamai jamai mayshek showed you defensively and what i think Fred DeLeon could be as more of that number two number three um yeah i, I think DeLeon, you want him to get a lot of minutes next year and just see what he can yeah. be but i mean with zakai hurt and just you know, the backcourt depth is not very good right now, and you don't know what B.J. Edwards is. You know, maybe Cameron Carr is going to produce. I don't know, but I think you would welcome Santiago Vescovi back. Don't think it's going to happen, though. I think there's a much higher chance James comes back. And it sounds like D.J. Jefferson's going to be in the rotation, right? Like, it seems like he's someone that uh, you should expect to get some minutes, right? Early in the season, yeah. yeah. He'll, have a chance. He'll have a chance to start a role, for sure. And I think... The DJ Jefferson redshirt experience has gone a lot better than a lot of redshirt experience has yeah. has for guys. I mean, I go back, I'm trying to remember the exact Barnes quote. I think it was after the first game when he announced Jefferson was going to be redshirting, and he was like, "You know, we we've had a lot of success. The guys that have redshirted here have had a lot of success." And I'm like, "When they put in the work that they need to, it's like, oh, okay. So there's none of the guys that put in the work that they need to that are redshirted because they've all because all the redshirted guys have transferred." Um, but I know I, I don't think, and maybe in a week DJ Jefferson will be in the portal, but it's not by any means a foregone conclusion, which, you know, I thought it might've been. And so he could be back. He could be playing a role. Uh, in my opinion, when you look at Vescovy and James, you know, James, I think is a guy you kind of like Campbell. Like you welcome him back. If he wants to come back, I'm not throwing a lot of NIL capital at him. And Santiago Vescovy, I'm throwing a ton of NIL capital at him. Like he, I get the sentiment that you have. You've kind of seen what you can do with this backcourt, but when you have so many new pieces on next team, I would readily welcome back by far your most consistent player. And 
a fantastic shooter on a team. When you take him out, you look at Tennessee's roster next year, it is absolutely devoid of shooting. There is <laughs> no shooting. Nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be huge. And look, I guess I get your your question, and a lot of it goes into how flexible will Barnes be of playing you know, three guards at the same time. But even with Zakai Ziegler coming off torn ACL and Santiago Vescovi, if he were to come back, you're going to need more scores, and that's what Freddy DeLeon does best, and I think he'll still have plenty of opportunities. Do you think one of the two come back? I'd go no, but okay. I don't think it's – it wouldn't surprise me if I, if one of them comes back. Hmm. I guess, I mean, you have to make a decision soon. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff yeah. happen very quickly. Like, we're taping this on a Monday mo- or Friday morning. I think we're going to have to know pretty early on because Tennessee's deep in the thick of it of getting guys on official visits. Like, Caleb Love, I think, is coming through. So, I mean, you need to know for certain what guys like uh, Vescovy are doing uh, before you add, like, two guards in the portal or something like that. Like, you just you need to be dang sure uh, what uh, what you're doing on, uh, on that front. Does Caleb um, Love not feel yeah. like? terrible fit at tennessee you what does caleb love not feel like a terrible fit at tennessee i hold on let's not I, i'm absolutely signing up for one year of caleb love like the best I case mean, I'm scenario not is I'm, great. Not, I'm not saying i'm not signing up for it i'm definitely signing up for it i mean i wrote about it this week tennessee needs star power in yes. the portal and he is that he's probably one of the two three biggest stars in the portal mm-hmm. but the way rick barnes coaches and the way he doesn't give necessarily a ton of offensive flexibility wouldn't be the right word. A lot of offensive leniency. I mean, Caleb Love's a – go back to Seinfeld references and George Costanza. He's – Caleb Love's a chucker. <laughs> he is a chucker. And he wants the ball in his hand, and it's Caleb Love time, and it's Caleb Love time, and then it's Caleb Love time some more. And Caleb Love better have the ball. That doesn't seem like a great fit at Tennessee. If you're Tennessee, I don't, I'm not saying I don't get why you're not recruiting him because you're hoping you can hone that a little bit and have it at its best. Um, I mean, you could sell that like hey, Barnes could sport. sell to him, right? Like you're, you, we've seen what you've done at North Carolina, and and like you have that skill. But like, what if I I harness that final piece to your game? Next question is: Does Caleb Love want to hear that or not? Yeah, I mean, and I don't have a question to it. Um, but well, it sounds like yeah, he wants to hear I mean, it at that, least a little it. bit, right? Isn't it booked? Yeah. Like he has an official visit with Tennessee. I, I'd seen the connection there, but I had I hadn't seen for sure that there's an official. Okay. And I mean, it, it does it does seem like there's very real interest both ways, I, but there being very real interest both ways is also different than he gets there for a visit and you make that pitch of hey you need to tune your game a little bit we're going to do it here I'll help you harness it to another level. It's different to have interest and come on campus and like that messaging. So yeah. we'll see. It'll all play out, and I'm sure that one will be a big NIL venture. You know, whoever's involved in IOM is going to be a very big deal in that recruitment. And how willing will Tennessee be to get in the deep end of the water and, and try to get him to come to come to Tennessee? Maybe it also depends on how certain they are. Sakai is going to be ready to go by uh, yeah. start. Like if they think it's more like realistic Sakai being ready to go and play a lot of minutes, it's like December. Then you want to go more of the the guy you've seen it. Like, are you willing to shell, shell out a little bit more NIL money to bring in a Caleb Bluff? Because you're just not certain what Zakai is going to look like and what his timeline is going to be. And just the pressure cooker of like, all right, we need you now. Like here's 30 minutes. Like uh, Zabeski has gone. Uh, BJ Edwards uh, is driving Rick Barnes crazy. Like you're, you're playing a bunch of minutes uh, right out of the gate here. And we just don't know what Zakai is going to look like. Like we hope for the best, but it's a lot of pressure to throw him right back in the fire uh, based on the timeline here. So I don't know. That'd be fun. Like that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Caleb love in the fold, but we'll have to see. Uh, 
five seconds. True or false? Julian Phillips is back with Tennessee. True or false, Jack? False. Okay. Definitely false. True or false, Ryan? Julian Phillips is false. back. Man. I would love to see him back. He got to the rim. He actually drove. He attacked long. Hmm. He sometimes did those things. Yeah, I was about to say, if he didn't lose the ball in the way. Well, hold on. He's like, hey, beggars can't be choosers. That man, I at yeah, least was... Tennessee should want him back. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that. I, I just have heard this sentiment all of a sudden in the last week since the season ended that Julian Phillips just solved all of Tennessee's issues and not being able to score at the basket. Man, how could he, he could put his head down and drive? And it's like, yeah, he did that against USC. And we saw it maybe twice a game in SEC mm-hmm. play, but wasn't any consistency there. Doesn't mean it can't be, but I don't know. Yeah. I've seen Julian Phillips all, all of a sudden – I'm not saying you did this because you're just saying you want him back at Tennessee, which you should. But I've in the last week, all of a sudden, Julian Phillips has gotten a lot better at basketball, like mm. significantly better in the last eight days. I, I think he's not the guy who couldn't look at looked at the basket in the Florida Atlantic game. Apparently, he's not that guy anymore. Mm. Ooh, heat from Ryan Shumpert to wrap. And this up. isn't even Julian Phillips. Heat. This is just heat of the people who are acting like Julian Phillips has been. Tennessee's best players last season. I think he has a super high ceiling and could be really good if he comes back and certainly could go be in the NBA, could go be a really good player elsewhere, but he wasn't some star for Tennessee this past season. No. Uh, Jack, what do you want to plug here as we wrap up here today? Yeah, just the usuals. Um, always college football on ESPN YouTube and podcast platforms. Um, talking a lot of off-season college football stuff. Greg mentioned the comeback in the most in today's episode, actually, so we got that out of him. We were talking about like favorite April Fool's games, like fooled you, and he was like, well, I guess the comeback is my least favorite, so mm-hmm. that was funny, and of course, RockyTopInsider.com and all our stuff. We just added a new show, Pancakes and Bacon, with VFL Kyler Kerbison, which I've been editing clips for and pushing that on all our platforms, so lots and lots of stuff going on, and you can find it all at our website. There you go. Ryan, what about you? Rocky Top Insider as well? Yeah, Jack hitting nail on the head. Tons of stuff. Tons of spring football. Monitoring things with the basketball roster movement. as we That stuff is, is already heating up, but will really, really heat up here in the next week when college basketball season's over. And then obviously plenty of Tennessee baseball coverage down on the bayou this weekend, and they uh, come back up to face Florida next weekend. So probably two best teams in the SEC in back-to-back series. Should be a lot of fun. We'll have plenty of coverage there. And yeah, pancakes and bacon. Reed Bacon and uh, Callan Kerbison. New podcast on the RTI Network. They had a great first episode uh, talking that they watched a full uh, spring practice on Saturday. So breaking down a lot of their observations, a lot of good stuff. And we're excited to have those guys aboard. There you go. Ryan, Jack, thank you as always. And y'all have yourself a great weekend. Go Vols and uh, all the best. Sounds great. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. 
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.